Craggy Rugby Podcast. I'm Rob Murphy. Osprey's away edition. Alan Deegan, very welcome along. Hi, Rob. Game is over. We know the result, but we're trying to stay positive despite all the bad news coming our way. Dave Finn, welcome along. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, positivity, yeah. Well, good luck with that one. <laughs> oh my God, so much negativity, William Davis. Welcome along. That's not negative, though. We're all happy to see you. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much, Rob. That's cheer, cheer me up enormously after West Ham's debacle last night. I just had enough to watch another one. Um, was it a debacle? Well, 5-0 against Man City is a debacle. <laughs> <laughs> it was a debacle. It should be 10-0 by Man City. All right, I, I walked into that. Uh, no, it wasn't a debacle, but it wasn't great either. There was a lot of huff and puff and not much result at the end of it. The Austria is a far the better side. Uh, had a better game plan and executed it. And we didn't really come away with an awful lot. And we've got more injuries stacking up. Connacht beaten 29 points to 7. It was inevitable the Ospreys were going to score a bonus point try. The only surprise was it took them so long. Sean O'Brien at least stopped Connacht getting nil. There's something that you feel strongly about sometimes in these kind of games, Alan. You know, that kind of scoreline against your team really is not something you want. So at least O'Brien got that try. His first try for Connacht. Uh, it was indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important. I think we last year we we scored a try, at least one try in every match since December last year, and you know, nil, being nilled in a game was just brutal, and uh, it was great to see it. And it was a great piece of ingenuity from him to spot the loose ball, pick it up, and make it over the line from that distance. Your biggest worry in this game, one thing you summed up this game, one thing I was like, oh, four tries, how many tackles from this? Twenty-two tackles, more maybe perhaps by the end. But you're saying no, there's only one takeaway from this. Yeah, Jack. Losing Jack Carty to a possible ACL is, is horrendous news. Absolutely horrendous. Um, where are we going to get the cover? Even if Ronaldson and, and O'Leary come back next week, Ronaldson's been playing 12, so we're, we're desperately short of players. Yeah, and look, listeners, you're going to have to forgive us because obviously we're recording this straight after the game. We don't know the exact details of that injury, but we're presuming it's going to keep him out for quite some time at the very least. It couldn't be much worse news. It makes it hard to assess a lot of the errors and a lot of the ways Connacht have taken a step back in the last few months Dave because there's a lot of things happening that are out of their control oh there are I mean there was a clear lack of there's a lack of something I mean it's very hard to we, we, we're, we're very easy to read and we're not we're not a threat and that isn't necessarily down to Jack that's down to midfield but the reason the midfield is there is because our best midfield is not on the pitch because they're both injured so how do you get them going, Jack? I mean, uh, and that's not against. There's, eff- I'm not going to criticise any. Every comic player goes onto the pitch and gives a hundred percent and gives as best as he can, but they are limited in what they can do at this moment in time because a they're not good enough. They're they're out of position or they just don't have they don't have the skill level at this moment in time. There's no question about effort. There was a lot of I mean, the lads the lads said earlier there was, there was a lot of effort, but what you're seeing now is it's the, the chickens are coming home to roost. There's a lack of. There's fear on the pitch, and it's from us. We are we are afraid. Our lineup now is now absolutely riddled with fear, and let's be frank about it, the Ospreys didn't were not afraid of us. They allowed us the ball in the first five minutes, and then as soon as they got into an attacking platform, we made a mistake, and they went, "Thank you very much, lads." And here, here there's fourteen points. Yeah, sides all season, particularly in away games, are really happy to let us have the ball. Mm. And they feel that our lineout is a fifty-fifty. It's it's a it's an opportunity to get ball that you know either we're going to make a mistake or they're going to be able to read the call or and that's a real problem and Dave is quite right because that sort of gets through the whole side we just haven't won enough games this season and when you when you start losing games on a constant basis it does just wear you down and it becomes a mental thing then there's there's a factor that comes that you're just not going to get the job done are we four and eight now in wins and losses? I think we are. I think we, yeah, we would be four and eight. Um, and it's 
it's it's not that we I mean this time last year we actually lost four games in a row as well and we went I think but there was a difference. There was we one point loss in Scarlet. One point loss. We went we went to Scarlet's and we lost the game and we lost the game because of a, a, a moment of madness and uh, you know we, we thought hard done by. There's no hard done by this. The only thing you would say hard done by is maybe they should have had a guy in the bin in, in earlier than they did. But I don't even no, think that, we felt hard done by no, last week no, against Munster. No. I don't think we felt hard done by against Ulster. Uh no. I mean, it's you can understand. I mean, they're, they're, you're looking at there going, well, what? I mean, I think John Lacey made a couple of mistakes today, but th- that may have affected the scoreline. Definitely didn't affect the result. The reason we lost that game because we weren't good and they weren't brilliant, but they didn't have to be. Alan, just to pick up something that Dave said a few minutes ago, which is teams are happy to let us have the ball. If people didn't hear that in the live piece, just to re-emphasise the point that you were you were making there at the end of the live show. Yeah, we've done some stats. Dave, Dave O'Connor done some stats uh, for me um, whereby we're currently shipping 60% of the tackles in a game. In other words, we're taking 6% of the tackles in a game, which you know leads to two things. One means that the opposition are giving us the ball more and are allowing us to have the ball. Average team normally takes between 50 and 50 55% you know there or thereabouts you know it depends one week to the next we're talking on average this season you know we we take 60% that's the average in one game against the dragons which i think we had three major injuries against the dragon we took 240 tackles that you know you're going to get hurt being tackled that that often um, so that's one element, you know, a lot of injuries seem to be coming from the, those sort of scenarios and that can lead to, you know, knee injuries and ankle injuries and whatever because you're being smashed back um, in tackles. The second thing is that, you know, we, we don't have the penetration that we had last year. We don't, there's no fear. We don't have any, any major go forward in midfield at the moment, which means our back three, it doesn't matter. You have the best back three in the world and they, they're not going to score when they're not getting the ball going forward in space. If we have the ball going forward in space, we can score. We showed it today. Now one thing I want to emphasise that you said in the live piece as well is you compared that with last season where you reckoned it was 50-50. That surprised me because I thought that would have been something the way we played the last two years or three years. But you're saying that's different this year. We seem to have the ball more this year than we did last year. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, you can go back, as, as Dave would say, you, you look back at Barcelona. When they were at their, their best, they used to keep the ball forever and then eventually score a goal. And then people realise, well, just let them have the ball. Stop trying to take it off them. And then they couldn't score goals because, you know, you have to create something. Most tries are scored on on um, turnovers. So if you don't have the ball, you can't turn it over. If you're not turning it over in the opposition, then have to run with it all the time. New Zealand are the same. New Zealand score most of their tries from turnovers, not from set plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people are letting us have the ball. Um, we don't have the same firepower we did last year. Um, to get over the gain line to make space out wide, um, you know. So last year we had a fifty-fifty teams. Obviously, I've analysed this over the summer, seen why we were able to do what we were doing, um, and figured out how to stop us. And we haven't moved on. This is why I was so annoyed last week that we didn't take the three points in front of the post. This week again, first half there was three points to be had. John Cooney, hundred percent kicker, fourteen-three. Just get yourself on the board. It's no cliche in rugby, but when you're at nil, get some points on the board. It just irritates me really because we're not being smart. No, especially as we're, we're then relying on a, a rather wonky line-out mm. on the next phase. Now, today the problem was with them all again, which there was an error. It, it didn't, we didn't talk about it much in the live coverage because the game was dead. They were 24 nil down, but we made a mess of two mall opportunities late on. late on because something just went wrong in the system. One of them seems to have been reset because they might have actually had too many players on the pitch, which is the same as last week. But the officials noticed us this week, so the referee just said, we'll do the line-out again. We did it again, and we still got it wrong. And that, that, that eats away at a team. 
no matter how much you analyse that on video and say, right, this is how you fix it, lads, and they practice it and they do this and they do that, but that does eat away at the confidence and it's what happens then is, I think, in insides, the responsibility gets moved on. A player thinks, I don't want to do anything here, so I'll I'll tell you what, you do it. And you do it. And it just, it doesn't become a collective, it becomes individuals. And a problem I have with the the fact that we, the, you know, they were down to 14 men. Our biggest problem has been able to find space for our back three. They're down to 14 men and we have a five metre line out. And then we try and maul it over. So we didn't work the first time. So what did we try and do the second? And we tried it again. First phase ball. Ball should have been taken off the top and shot out the wing. They were down a player. We've got the skill set to pass the ball along the line and score. That's what I find frustrating. We're not playing. We're not looking at what the situations are and, and figuring out what to do on the field. Really annoying. Really frustrating. It's a bit too much like whiteboard rugby, which drives me potty. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Look at last week. I mean, Ian Keatley, on the, we, uh, this time last year, Ian Keatley's mental state was, would, I would have questioned, I would have thought he has been destroyed by his own fans and he was just playing by the numbers rugby. Last week, he did that cross-field kick. That was looking up and saying, well, let's try this. Let's see what's going to happen. Occasionally we do that. Occasionally we look up. But the problem was is that who exactly was making the calls? There was no... I mean, if you look at, at the... At when those two malls were happening, the most experienced person in the pack was Lewis Stevenson. The most experienced college player on the pitch was Owen McKeown. Now, Owen McKeown's a very good player, but I don't know if you'd put him down as part of our leadership bunch. I don't know enough about... I don't know him, so therefore you, he may well be a leader on the pitch. But Owen, if that's the case, then who's making... He's, he can't call the, the shots in line. We had, a, we had two scrum halves playing 9 and 10. We had a centre partnership that uh, the last time they played together only lasted 25 minutes because Danny got injured. There's no way the ball's gone out. There's no obvious person. To, you look at that and thinking, when Tom McCarthy's gone off, Queen Rue has gone off, who is making the calls? And that was the problem there. Now, it, again, it made absolutely no difference to the scoreline. But our try came about because somebody tried something different and Sean O'Brien looked up, picked up, saw the ball come out, looked up and saw there was nobody between him and the line and set off. That is playing the game as it was. Just look at what's ahead of you. We have, we have become the team that's paralysed by analysis. We must stick to the process. We must, there's no problem sticking to your process, but if your process isn't working, why not just play off the cuff and see what's ahead and play what's ahead of you? And if that means up the jumper, if it means kicking it 20, 100 yards downfield because there's no cover, do it. Yeah, William said that a few after the Wasps game in in Coventry. It was one of the things he said at the end of the podcast. He's like, it might be getting time where we just put the ball up in the air and go after teams. Yeah, do do something different. I think part of the the downside is that when your when your confidence goes a bit, you almost go back mm. to set moves because it's it's easier just to go back and do something that is ingrained into you and taking a risk is almost something that you do when when you've got your confidence up it's it's a balancing act how how that actually plays out in a play, player's heads but leadership is an issue um just in terms of how you're actually trying to um set up situations and it it did this afternoon the, the whole once they went 24-0 up the whole game sort of just slowed down and oh, it, it was well, awful is, yeah, I was going to use another expletive, but anyway, but it was. The studio can get a bit stuffy, I was falling asleep for a while. Alan, table, we're looking at it there, Ospreys have just gone top now. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they've got 10 bonus points in the Pro 12 this year, so it's no, you know, there's no harm really in complaining about just giving them a bonus point. It's something they've been doing all season to every team they've played against, more or less. 
Um, but yeah, we're we're down in eight. We're on twenty one points. Sixth place is Ulster on thirty three. Um, so that's an awful long way away. I can't see how we're going to get there. We we really need to be making sure we don't fall behind the Dragons in Edinburgh. That's our biggest issue because Edinburgh can jump ahead of us if they get a win today. We could slip outside the top eight and even miss out in the playoff. And the one thing that's hanging on now is seventh or eight. Either of those places gets you into a four-way playoff or one Champions Cup place with the English and French seventh-ranked sides. Semi-final away from home to one of those sides from England or France. Final on the toss of a coin. Long shot, but if you had everyone fit, you'd have some chance. That's Connick's only hope now. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, we're, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to look at, you know, stop shipping injuries and then during the international window, do what we did last year, get as many bonus points as we can possibly get. Um, otherwise, we're in this, this. The season is in absolute bits. Of course, we do have Europe. There's a possibility of a, a quarter final in Europe, um, but it's, it's a bit like the old days, really, isn't it? It's a bit like you know, pre-Pat Lamb. You know, all you were depending on was Europe, and the league was the league. Or, sorry, the championship. The championship, as we've been told each week to call it that, so we've done that. Box ticked. William, let's tee up some audio. When we come back, we'll uh, quickly look ahead to the Zebra game and we might just look at some of the bigger picture stuff that we feel is happening around the edges. You were chatting to Conor McPhillips. We've already heard some of this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some great detail on what he does in the background. Move from video analyst to attack coach. But the second part has some uh, a different kind of perspective on it. Yeah, he went to New Zealand... Uh, during the close season uh, during the summer and it's really interesting just to hear what he learned over there and, and how he found the setups because there's, there's no doubt about it in, in world rugby everything uh, whether it, it all actually does but it all seems to emanate out of New Zealand and everybody watches what their franchise sides do and what their international side does so he gives us a really good insight here You've become the poacher turned gamekeeper as a coach. Do you think it helps to have been a, a, a player in a professional era to be, go into a professional coaching setup? It helps, but it's not the be all and end all. There's some great coaches who haven't played at a high level or haven't even been professionals. So a lot of a lot of good coaches from teaching backgrounds. So it's more it's nice to have the mix of it too. Like to have felt it and uh, have real life experiences is great. But uh, it's also it's. Coaching the player is about teaching the player. It's it's all well and good the coach knowing everything, but he needs to get his point over to the player. Um, so it's I think Joe Schmidt said that uh, it's not it's not what the player knows or it's not what the coach knows. It's what the player knows that counts because they're the guys on the pitch. So um, it gives you a bit of a leg up maybe, but it's not the be all and end all. And you're now the backs coach. Yep. What 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 does that role involve? It, it's it's obviously you're coaching the backs, but yep. there's there's more to it than that. Yeah, so last year I was I was helping Pat out with the attack, so I had a bit of a, a taste for the coaching side of it, and I got a lot of, a lot of on-pitch experience, so which was helping out with set-piece attack and phase attack and even watching the opposition attack for our defence. So um, being a backs coach, you kind of ultimately, like you say, you're responsible for the backs. So um, you'll be dealing with their strike plays off scrum and line-out, uh, which fits into the team attack. You'll be um, driving the phase play, but also, along with Dave Ellis, with the skills, a lot of individual skill development, um, to, like passing, but um, all the all the individual skills. Um, but a big thing for me is um, I, I want to put a big emphasis on our one v ones this year. So the ability to beat a defender. So for me, all all players are different. They've got different strengths and weaknesses, and they've all got tools that they can use. But for me. I wanted to be able to try and create scenarios and training where 
these guys get to practice what's their best tool. So someone like Nihi might have a different tool to Peter Robb, but they need to know how to use it and what's the best way of using it. So every every unit session or back session that I do with the guys, we have a, an element of attack, uh, 1v1 attack versus defense. And it's a bit of fun and the guys have a bit of slagging about who, but it's basically scoring a try against one-on-one. It's competition, so the guys mm. love that. Another big emphasis that I wanted to do is make guys comfortable in training so that when they're out in the pitch, it just happens for them naturally. And that would be kind of a, a big thing for me generally as a coach is try and create scenarios in training that uh, are the same or even more difficult than they are in the match. So that these guys are training under pressure that when defences do certain things on the game day that they've felt this in training and that they're able to go back almost to muscle memory um, and try and execute under pressure. So that's a big, big thing for me is creating scenarios in training that are almost as high pressure as in a game. Obviously, part of the skill then is is that you have to also lift up a player if they've if they've had a bad game or they've had a say they say the guy that is marking them has just yeah. had them that day. Yeah. Uh, do you have to? So you're you're finding you're finding you you're bringing up the faults, mm-hmm. but you're also looking to see how they can avoid that the next time. It, yeah. It's it's a progression basis. We yeah. I hate to use the word fault. Everything's a work on. You want to get better. You want to work on it. Um. But again, you break down the individual's performance and there could be a reason that something inside or someone else, he, he was covering for someone else. So again, you, you go through why it happened um, and you look at ways of fixing it, like you say, but you want to give that player confidence. So um, there's times when you'll have to go hard and tell them they're not pulling their weight and they need to pull their socks up. But there's also times when you need to pick them up, like you say, and it, that's all back to your relationship with the player and their learning style. So. Um, you need to know the individual and know the best way to, to improve them. But uh, there's a lot of, like you say, give confidence. There's also times where you have to probably come pretty hard. But at the end of the day, it's just it's all about your relationship with the player and how you do it. So there's a lot of honesty required on both sides. Yeah. I think at the start of the year, you try and sit down with all the players and maybe do some goal setting one-to-one. Um, and it can be a bit of a cliche. You can kind of ask them, well, what do you want from your coach? And they'll all say, oh, honest feedback. So the question back is, well, can you handle honest feedback? At the end of the day, I'm not. The coaches aren't there to just berate the player or give out to them. Like I said before, it's about making them better and making the coach's job harder to um, to pick a fifteen at the weekend because he wants every player in his at his disposal at the height of his game, and and it can only be better for the team at the weekend. So there is some tough meetings. Guy players get dropped. Um, you will always give a player a reason. Um, every player in their career has probably been dropped at some stage it's just how they deal with it and how, and again it can test relationships but if your relationship is strong um, they know it's for the for the good of the team so it's very important You were in New Zealand uh, <coughs> during the summer how, how did that trip come about? Yeah no, I was very fortunate um, after I kind of came about that I was going to be doing the backs row uh, for this year um, Pat and Willie were keen for me just to kind of go and get a a different taste of a different culture or a different environment and of course um, Pat has a lot of contacts down in New Zealand and, and the club were good enough to send me down to uh, spend, I spent a full week with the Hurricanes and a uh, full week with the Crusaders so that was in June kind of just during my summer holidays but it was very good professional development but um, I got in there, I got there at a weekend and I got to spend the whole week in with the Hurricanes, every training session, every meeting I was had a, they were kind enough to give me a, a desk and a a chair in the coach's office so I got to hear all their player meetings all their interaction from coach to coach and they actually let me um, sit in the coach's box at the weekend they were playing the Blues in um, in Wellington the Westpac Stadium so I got to see basically 
a full week of training, game planning, player meetings, one-to-ones, and then actually sit in the box um, at the weekend and see how all that planned out. Um, it was a good time to be there as well because the All Blacks were just coming back in from their November, t- uh, sorry, from the June tests. So you're obviously rubbing shoulders with guys like Dane Coles, uh, Victor Vito, Artie Sabe, Julian Sabe, TJ Perinara, Bowden Barrett, all these kind of um, high profile guys. And just seeing how their meetings are run, seeing what players kind of stand up and are the leaders and just seeing the, the interaction between the coaches and the players was just a great experience for me. And I think people always say, oh, what do they do different? Or do they do this at training? Or uh, what are they doing? But for me, a lot of our, the way we play and the drills and the game plan are very similar. Uh, what was most, most interesting for me is, like I said, is just seeing the interaction um, of players to coaches and coaches to coaches. So you see, you listen to the coaches' conversations about their game plan, how they're going to attack a team, why they're going to do it. You see um, players lead meetings, um, defence meetings, and you just basically get to see all the nitty-gritty that you would be used to in your own environment, but it's nice to see what other teams are doing in their environment. And very very educational week for me not not so much in learning how to play the game but more about on the relationship side of thing and the game plan side of thing they seem new zealand rugby has a reputation for being quite open about this sort of stuff where they share ideas is is that is that the case here or, or are we a little bit more inclined to be we do our own thing and we're not we don't yeah, maybe let it a little bit protective um yeah, I, I don't know why. Maybe we are. I don't know if there's a reason. Um, maybe it's. I think often you can't really compare the Super Rugby season and the Pro Twelve and the Northern Hemisphere season because the Northern Hemisphere season is so long. You play every team twice, uh, sometimes three times. So I think you are a little bit guarded because you almost have to change how you play sometimes during the year because you come against the same teams over and over and they know how you're going to play. So I think there's a little bit of cloak and dagger, maybe just to protect yourselves. Um, but I also think it's to do with the, with the length of the season and how well teams know each other. They almost know what you're going to do before you're going to do it sometimes. So you need to be quite uh, quite innovative and constantly changing and developing to make sure you stay ahead of the game. In in the meetings that, that are, do they have a more player-led system? You, you, you're emphasising there about um, players standing up and talking. Yeah, not more. No, like, uh, I think it probably comes back to maybe the, the, the profile of players, a lot of All Blacks in both squads. But I also think... The Crusaders have a, a long legacy of, um, they're very detailed and they are player driven. But I think even in the Hurricanes, there's probably a different profile of player there, a lot of maybe younger guys, but you still have seasoned um, All Blacks like I named earlier. But it also comes back to the to the head coach, what, what they want to do. Sometimes if the head coach is only just in, he maybe need to stamp his authority, tell him what he wants. But I think the longer a coach is there, the more he'll release um, kind of power or maybe players can be a bit more player led but I think even here in Connacht when Pat came in first he had a he had a way he wanted to do things and he was teaching but when players get used to the head coach and the coaches they start realising what the, uh, is expected of them and what they want and then the players can start taking over and the senior guys can really drive the uh, the culture and the rugby programme so it, it probably depends on the, the length of time the coach has been there and who the coach is Connor, been very good to talk to you we'll catch up again later in the season Cheers William, uh, thanks for having me Eric Phillips, Connacht attack coach, chatting with William Davis. We're hoping to make this a bit of a series of you sitting down with backroom staff members of Connacht. Dave Ellis was another one you chatted to. Yeah, I had a very good chat myself and Lindley, uh, also of this podcast. I had a great chat with him a couple of weeks ago. Really 
in-depth analysis of what a skills coach does because it's such a broad term. Uh, so I wanted to narrow it down and find out what it actually meant and uh, we did that. Alan, the loss of Dave Ellis at this time of year, mid-season, considering the struggles Connacht have right now, I mean, we probably we have underestimated that. Well, yeah, you, you like we're now losing the the, whole, the full almost or, or three of our coaching team that that won us the final, um, you know, because Dave's gone, Pat's leaving us, and um, Andre Bell left at the end of the season. So you know, the three most influential guys in the place are gone. So it's uh, <laughs> it's not leaving us with a whole hell of a lot. Like um, you know, Jimmy and Jimmy and Connor hopefully will be able to step up, and we really hope it, you know who we get in is going to be massive. You know, because they have to follow on what we're doing. It can't be somebody that doesn't have the same sort of philosophy. We need to keep the running type game that we're doing. I know we're complaining about not kicking enough, but that's to me, it's not about not kicking enough. It's about playing to the space, and and you know, we need to improve that that ability that we we just don't seem to have at the moment. Mainly because we've got so many so many injuries and so many of our our um, leaders off the field and our guys with a lot of experience not on the field so young guys have been expected to, to step up and at the moment they're struggling Just back to you for a second you've been talking maybe behind the scenes not a lot on the podcast but you're feeling that this is a bit of a rebuild year for Connacht you felt that early on after the bad pre-season some of the changes that are coming the back in, on the field in terms of the squad you must really feel that now right in the midst of a rebuild and it might be might be worse before it gets better yeah, if you look at we're we're if you compare this season to the first season under Pat, it's it's a very similar type season that that you know we're in the process of of a rebuild. You're you're looking at a situation today where the back three were from the final, but the other four the, um, backs we had were not um, the were not starters in the final. And and you know the same we look at the pack. I think it was only two players in the pack who were who were there at the final, and maybe one or two on the bench. So you know that's this is only halfway through the season, and we're talking about almost completely different side. Um, and now you know the head coach is gone, our skills coach is gone, so you, you know it, it's a huge change around, and it's gonna it's gonna really be interesting to see how Connacht as an organisation handle this and move us on. The injuries aren't helping, um, but it's you know Europe is still going well, Europe's still going well enough, um, and and you know we get into a quarter final and it'll almost be deemed as a successful season as long as we can finish seventh or eighth. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a rebuild. I, I don't think there's any way that if you sat down and did a worst-case scenario that would we'd actually be as be where we are. I thought we would have done better than this. Mm. And I think they, as as a team and as an organisation, would expect to have done better than this. They've played 12 matches, they've lost eight. Yeah. That's not really good enough as champions. Some of them we've lost by quite tight margins, but we've also been comprehensively outplayed in some games, and we just haven't been. I mean... Monster comprehensively outplayed us. Leinster, Leinster the Dragons, the Osprey. You know, it's if it was six six at the minute, you would take it. You'd see, and that to me, the two games that really stand out were probably the away game against the Dragons and um, Monster, maybe Monster to some extent. Those would be two games, and obviously Zebra is still floating around there because it has to be replayed. No. If that game had been played, we'd probably be five. Well, we, we might be four and nine. Yeah, because it was twenty-one-three at that point. Yeah. So, uh, look, it's just been a very difficult season, and I think what has to happen now is that everybody has to hold their nerve. It's that's behind all, the scenes as well as out yes, front. Yeah. very much so, and that's that's difficult because Pat Lamb is leaving. It's a long process for him to leave. It's 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 a very slow. Situation. It's not like in other sports where the manager's in one day and they're gone the next. And that 
is probably very di- it's, it's difficult for everybody it's it's just different it's it's changed the dynamic of how it works and they've got to adjust to that but they've also got to keep playing and the simple fact is if they were winning some more games it wouldn't be as big an issue if they continue losing games it gets bigger oh yeah absolutely i think i think rebuild is is there the thing is, this year's a season of rebuild. Next year will possibly be a season of rebuild as well, because then you've got a, you've got a new coach coming in, and you, he's going to want he's going to change things around. But you would think we said this a lot about about Zebra and about other clubs that, that there comes a point where you're playing for your future, and a lot of these guys they may not have, they may have contracts, but there's no guarantee that these that any of those fifteen guys will be will be in a similar position. Um, this time next year because the new coach might have different ideas he might want to bring in his own people you, you have no guarantee of that um, so it, on the, so you need to you need to you need to at least have even if you're just trying for your own pro- professional advancement you'd want you think you'd want to play up problem then is that we, we come back to the issue that Alan was saying earlier is that you end up then with 15 guys playing with their own agendas rather than playing as a team so that that needs to be balanced out as well Behind the scenes, it wouldn't hurt to get it actually sorted out. Now, I know you don't want to rush into a decision. But even if they really came out and said, look, we will hope to have a decision made by a certain date. And as a practical... I know, I know, I know this is not... But Alan's if, shaking his head. But I've said, if you said, not necessarily say, we will, ha- we will announce the decision. The reason you also need to announce the decision and say that they will, we will make this, make this call and this person will be in place by a certain date is that if you're talking about... The one thing we did complain about is a pre-season. The worst thing that could happen, looking ahead to next year, and we, we need not to start looking. Well, it's not a bad preseason, but this one caused by not having a coach in place to stake to start the preseason. That's why I think there needs to be. Even if I would prefer if they just said we will make an announcement on a specific date, I I just would prefer that. Now I know it's the boys will probably will disagree and, and disagree vehemently, but I think at least that way people will know. Well, at least by this point we'll have it. Now I'm not saying it needs to be done this week or announced it this week, but just say we hope we aim to have. And then we aim to announce our new head coach on, say, the 1st of May or something like that. I wouldn't be so much worried about the date, but I actually think it would relieve a lot of the pressure. If they did get if one. If they did get one now. And You're you, not saying rush it, but at the same time yeah, you're saying if it happens to come together quickly, that'd be good. Yeah, because the longer it goes on, the more it looks that they're not getting anybody. I mean, they're not going to tell us who they're interviewing. Yeah, We're it going, hasn't gone on long yet. It's, no, it's it, it hasn't. Well, yeah. to be fair, when Pat Lamb spoke at the press conference about leaving, he said he thought this, this period was probably too long, but that was the way the contract was set up. Yeah. So it's it, it will become an issue if it drags on, but, you, but at some stage, I think if it was done, it would actually just make things a bit easier. Alan, we're probably almost exactly a month since the announcement when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's. Um, I know you, you you like to have some. Thank sort God of we period. got that last minute try against Was. I have to say, because how gloomy would it be if they hadn't? Yeah, it would have been. It would have been shocking. It would have been two games in a row that we we didn't score a try, which is not something we've done for well over twelve months. Um, having said that, we've only managed to score more than one try in four games this year. I think, uh, maybe five. Um, so we're we're we are really are struggling to score, and the whole. Pat Lamb issue is is um, it's huge. Like we did, we got lucky in that he got to sign. He, we signed him up early. I, I have no issue with them rushing it. What I don't want them to do is is rush a, a sign and just for the sake of it, mm. you know, the, the, or put the, themselves under pressure by having no, a deadline. Yeah, I don't see why they should. The players are professional. They're paid to do. They're paid to play the game. Admittedly, looking at today, you could look at it another way. Their 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 minds are on next week. Next week's the important stuff. Today wasn't. They were invariably going to lose this game. That mindset probably was there. I know it shouldn't be, but it probably was. They're only human. 
Um, next week's the far more important game. They're looking at Zebra getting smacked last night. Um, you know, and if they should have enough to go in and get the bonus point win next week, which means that you've got a real good chance of getting a quarter final in Europe, which is a, a proper way of looking at the season in my eyes. Um, there is no rebuild now. But I was talking about a rebuild earlier on in the season when Pat Lahamas did our coach. There's no rebuild now. Right. Yeah. You can't you can't be rebuilding when you don't you don't have a head coach. Rebuild starts next year. Right. It's a reality. Any other business to finish the podcast? I hope we've covered as much as we can, folks. We can't cover everything. We are aware that uh, we're going to talk to more detail about the injury crisis and the Zebri game. Look, Zebri next week. I don't think we need to go into much more detail on that. We know what we've got to do. Five points before we get to any other businesses on that, William. Five points needed. F- five points needed. Do it as fast as you can. Uh, matter, even without half crisis, hopefully you'll have someone out there good enough to keep us ticking over to get the job done. They were truly pathetic last night against Leinster. I think they're a side that if you get a couple of scores ahead of them, their heads drop. They have a lot of issues. They're being disbanded or being moved or something. Irrelevant to us, just do the job, get your five points and then see what's happening at the Rico Arena and hopefully Wasps can um, make sure Toulouse leave there with nothing and that sets us up for the following week in the south of France. Alan. Yeah, just going back to the, the, the Pat Lamb and the announcement, you know, we have had this situation before. Eric announced he was leaving, I think it was October of 2012, and on the 12th of January 2013, we announced Pat Lamb was coming. So it would be nice to get him in this early. He didn't arrive until May, but that's not the point. The point Dave's make, it would be great to have an yeah, announcement. Yeah, we all agree with that. It'd be but, brilliant. You know, it's what we need. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not as though this is totally unprecedented. Our last coach announced very early he was leaving as well. But you know, that was October to, to January. You know, It's only been December, so we probably have another month or so to wait. Anyone else want to say anything on the Zebra game? We no. know what we've got to do in Europe. Five points first and foremost against Zebra. Then they look to the Wasps to lose game. And in case you're wondering, we're all in full agreement here. A Wasp win is what we want from that game. And we'd like it to be a clean win without to lose getting any points. That should help, Connor. Well, a Wasp win if we want to get second. Yeah, if we want to win <laughs> the group. If we want to win but the group, even then yeah, you're, we want, we want yeah. to lose to win and then we win in to lose, which is probably not something that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll just win a quarterfinal at this stage. Preferably away to Leinster, but for that to happen, you, you think at the moment, without getting into real detail, I and mean, the more likely quarterfinal opponent if Connacht were to get there is probably something like Claremont or uh, Saracens. Yeah, possibly Claremont or Saracens, depending on how the results fall. Um, but they they look like the more likely ones. Whereas right now, with, with the doom and gloom around Connacht and the injuries, we're just hopeful we get there. Okay. Any other business? Yeah, it's a small thing. Anything to do with next week. Um, we knew that we were playing Zebra at one o'clock on on next Saturday. We knew that. We knew that was going to was happening in Galway. We, we also knew that this weekend, the, we, oh, the next weekend, the, the Eagles will be facing London Irish. Now, London Irish coming to Connacht, irrespective of the fact that they will almost certainly batter the Eagles. So London Irish are coming over. Big occasion. We could have thrown a few tickets in for them for to get get a, get some of them into the into the game and gone as a as a PR move and as a as a sort of friendly gesture type thing. Instead, and again, I don't have a problem with the fact that games have been played in Dubarry Park. That's great. Get games played out in Dubarry Park. Move on the cycle. Fantastic. Good idea. It's the fact that it's been played at half two on Saturday. That is a cock up. And I don't know who made that call. I think it was the, whoever organised the BNI Cup. But that game should not be taking place as the other game is going ahead. That is unbelievably stupid um, people in Athlone would, who wanted to come to the comp, wants to come to the senior game will ha- but also want to see Eagles they don't see Connacht often enough in Athlone they should have been given the opportunity to see both games even if you said well they have to be played on the same day our game's over at half two put it on at half five or half four but why at half two even half three you might have got away with it but half two it's brain dead logic okay any other business with you? no it's very good on the other business I agree with him 100% but I have nothing. All right. 
Yeah. Alan, any other business? I do, I do. I've gotten, I'm getting a little bit frustrated at the, you know, the the call for um, foreign players to be, that we still need foreign players brought in. We still need the likes of Brad Thorne to be brought in here to teach our Irish young lads how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, why? We have players who've won Grand Slam. We've got players who've won two championships in a row in the Six Nations. We've got players who've won Heineken Cups for Leinster and Munster. Um, so we've got players who've won things they know how to win the whole idea of bringing the, the, the players in from the Southern Hemisphere at the time you know back in the day when you had the likes of um, Jim Williams and people like that coming into Munster uh, was because they needed to bring a level of professionalism that wasn't in within the Irish game that level of professionalism is there now so why are we still talking about it there's enough young guys coming through especially in Leinster where the Leinster schools game is at such a level like that's basically professional for younger guys and the, the quality of players coming through, you're looking at some of the, 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 the guys they have in Leinster, the amount of depth they have in Leinster. Why do we need to have professional you know, guys at a higher level? Why is there this constant talk we need to get guys in from the Southern Hemisphere? We don't need to anymore. We've, we've now beaten New Zealand as well. So, you know, the, I, I just don't get it. Why is there this constant feel that we have to go to the Southern Hemisphere with all these players? That made sense 10 years ago. It doesn't make sense now. Why can't we trust our own players? Brilliant. Too good any other business. I think both myself and William are going to yield our time, as they would say, on the floor of Parliament. That's it from us, folks. We'll be back next week after the Zebra game. Alan and William will be on the terrace, and myself and Dave will be joining it afterwards. But that's it for now. Champions Cup. Thank God for the Champions Cup. All agreed? We didn't have that. It's Europe. It's just the way it used to be, Rob. Challenge Cup. Now it's Champions Cup. Yeah, good old days. (laughs) 